you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can open up to the book of Acts chapter 19. The book of Acts chapter 19, we'll be looking at verses 8 to 20. If you do not have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will hand you one that you can use. If you have one at home and you just forgot it today, you can leave that one in your seat when you leave. But if you don't have a Bible, you can have the one they're giving you. That's our gift to you. We hope you'll read it and you'll apply it to your life. You'll get to know God and learn how to live for his glory. It's been a while since we've been in the book of Acts. Maybe you haven't noticed that. But we're returning right where we left off. Acts chapter 19, verses 8 to 20. We'll read the passage And then we'll look at it a little bit more in depth. Acts 19, starting in verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them, taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them, so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. This is the word of God. The last time we were in the book of Acts, Pastor Philip was actually preaching to us. And he titled a sermon, The Missing Peace. And it picked up the beginning of Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, that we didn't read today because we're moving on. But the missing piece these people had was Jesus. They had been baptized under the teachings of John the Baptist, and they were missing the story of Jesus. They had not made him Savior and Lord. They had not been baptized in his name. So Paul continues this proclamation in Ephesus, and that's where our story happens today. Now, I know what I just read a minute ago. If you're paying any attention, there is some weird stuff in today's passage. Okay? I was just out front. Yes, you're right. It's weird. And we're going to get to it, and we're going to talk about it some today. But what I want you to get for a second is the reality of this. This isn't just some story. All right? Paul that we're reading about was actually in a place called Ephesus in Asia. In fact, he wrote about this later, and, and we have some recording of what he wrote about it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it'll be on the screen. It says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would not trust in ourselves 
but in God who raises the dead. Paul spoke of hard times. He spoke of a rough place to be doing ministry. And that's the passage we're looking at today. But what does Paul tell us? He said these things happen so they wouldn't trust in themselves, but trust in God who raises the dead. Today, we trust in God. We trust in him for salvation. We trust in him for everything. One major thing that we trust God to do is build his church. You may not know, but we can make this the coolest worship experience you've ever seen. We can have flashing lights and fog machines and play your favorite songs and ones you haven't heard yet. Pastor Philip can get up here and do some really fancy preaching. You'll be saying amen and crying, and it'll be great. People will be coming in droves. But if God does not move, it's all just stuff. God builds his church, and we see that in this passage. The passage reveals three components of how God builds his church. The first is the proclamation of the word. The second is the demonstration of God's power. And the third is the transformation of God's people. So God will build his church through the proclamation of God's word. That is verses 8 through 10. Look at those verses with me. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. As was Paul's habit in all the towns that he went to, he starts in the synagogue, he goes, um, the CSB says arguing, your translation may say reasoning. point is he's having discussions with these people about the kingdom of God. You see, if you were Jewish at that time, and I guess if you're Jewish now, you're longing for a Savior to come. You're longing for this Messiah to come and advance God's kingdom here. You're waiting for that fulfillment. So he was coming and telling them that Jesus is the king they've been longing for. Jesus is the Messiah. This is his kingdom, and we can be part of it by grace through faith in him. He started as he always does, going there. Notice he spent several months proclaiming God's word as he often did. Verse 9 says, But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them. That may be a little hard for us to hear. People come and persecute Paul. Philip showed us a couple months ago that it's often the pattern we see of proclamation and persecution and then the promise kind of fulfilled throughout Acts. Here we have the proclamation and it's a bit of persecution. It's not as severe as he's felt before. He's not being physically beaten, but he is being slandered. He's being made fun of. People are questioning the way, which is what people called Christianity at the time, because it was a way of living. They're they're questioning this, so he withdraws from them wisely. Notice he takes the disciples and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This is likely, everybody, that he's going to a school. We actually have other writings from that time that tell us that that would have been open from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. So that was a time that a lot of people didn't work in the hot of the day because you may not know this, but AC has not always been a thing. I know. I know it's ridiculous to think about when ours breaks, we're like ready to freak out. But then, no AC, those kind of things. People take this midday break when it's hot and they go back to work later in the afternoon. Paul worked, remember? He was a tent maker. He's making a living. He didn't just expect other people to kind of carry him along. But he used his off time for the glory of God. He went over to the school and continued to proclaim God's word. He continued to teach. That's what it says in verse 10. This went on for two years. 
Ephesus is the place that Paul spent the most time. He was there for three years. We often don't think of that when we read through Acts. We just kind of blow by these. And you're like, oh yeah, he went there for like a week and preached one Sunday. and went. So, no, he spent three years laboring in Ephesus. Look what it says. So that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now I have a question. How does Paul stay in Ephesus for three years But the word is going out to all of Asia. You see, church, when we hear the word of the Lord, we're being shaped and conformed to the image of his son. And what that should be doing is sending us out with that word. We should be taking the gospel to those around us. If the only time you ever talk about Jesus is here on Sunday mornings, you're doing it wrong. And if you're here and you're a non-believer and you're like, oh no, they're actually telling people to go talk about Jesus outside, that's awkward. Yes! Things that are important are awkward to talk about, right? People don't want to talk about what happens when we die and taking care of our stuff. People don't want to talk about what ifs of, you know, what if I got sick? What if I get an injury? Those things get awkward for us. When you have serious conversations about marriage or divorce or whatever else, those are awkward also awkward when we talk about people's eternal destinies. We talk about whether or not people are going to be with the Lord. It's okay that it's awkward. I'm not here to lie to you and be like, hey, you know, one day you're going to get so good at it that it's not going to be awkward anymore. No, it may be awkward forever. That's okay. Go and tell people the gospel. It's only when we go and we share this word that people are going to come to know the Lord. Paul understood this. He wrote the book of Romans, and in Romans 10 he says... Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. He asked in that same passage, how will they hear if we don't tell them? That should motivate us, church. We've got good news to go tell people, and they don't know it unless we go tell them. Now, I'm, I'm caveat. I'm not just saying, Pastor Philip, Pastor Marcus, we're going to get all the pastors together, we'll grab some deacons, and we'll go do some ministry, and the rest of y'all can just hang out and pray for us. If you are a Christian... The Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and empowers you to live a holy life and empowers you to go and proclaim truth. And guess what? That same Spirit acts. He lives when we proclaim the gospel to draw people to the Lord, to soften hearts, to transform people. When we share the gospel, God saves the people. That's the pattern. That's how this works. Okay, If we don't share the gospel and we sit and go, man, why aren't people in Charleston coming to know the Lord? Then we only have ourselves to blame. This is the pattern God has established. So God will build his church through, first of all, was the proclamation of God's word. The second thing is God will build his church through the demonstration of God's power. This is verses 11 to 19. Some of you have been waiting for me to get to these verses since we read them because you're like, oh, there's some weird stuff there. What's cool is, again, we're talking about Paul here in Ephesus. And you may or may not know this, but Paul wrote a letter later to this church in Ephesus. Guess what it's called? Ephesians. It's in your Bible. I do encourage you, by the way, if you're doing our reading plan, there's a total side note. But if you're doing a reading plan here at Radiant, and you kind of have two days off, Sunday and Monday, if you're doing it the five days it says, I encourage you to read Ephesians today and tomorrow. Be a great thing. We got context of what happened in Ephesians. Go do that because a couple of verses right here in Ephesians really clue us in to Paul's mentality when he thinks of the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Maybe you've heard of the armor of God before, but maybe that's been disconnected for you from that church. Remember the things we're about to read? Hankies getting taken. They have spiritual powers connected to them. Weird exorcisms happening. That's the context for Paul saying, take up the armor of God. We don't fight just against flesh and blood. Look back at verses 11 and 12. It says, God is performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. Pause, because you may have missed something important. God was performing extraordinary miracles. It's easy to read these things and say, oh, Paul did all these really cool things. God is the source of this power. God is the one who was acting. Okay? Now, if you're Paul, you may know that and see things happen to me and like, God, why didn't you make cool things happen when I was getting beaten in that other town? Okay? God is sovereignly working through his church, through his people. He is the one doing these miraculous things. So when I joked about a hanky having special powers, I'm talking about verse 12 here, but it's not exactly that the hanky itself has any special powers. Y'all know what a hanky is, right? I'm not just being like weird and southern. We know what a handkerchief is. Cool. (laughs) Verse 12 says, so that even face cloths or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. We got a couple of people in the medical field in the room, so I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to you because I know it's the flu's going around and stuff. Y'all, if you have a handkerchief in your pocket, please don't go like rubbing on people and like hope you're going to heal them. You're going to give them something awful and they're going to be sick. Don't do that to them. There's, there's nothing powerful necessarily in these aprons or, or in these face cloths, but there is power in the Lord. And he was working through Paul in such a mighty way that these things that had even touched his skin were being taken and were healing people. Now, why... Did something like this happen then? And maybe we don't see it as commonly now. The truth is, we teach at this church, and we hold true to Scripture, we believe that the Spirit is still as active today as He was then. He can and does do these things in our world today. The normative pattern may not be to take out a handkerchief. Understand. It may not be in a way that we think of miracles, but He is still active. We'll talk more about that in a second. Look in verses 13 and 14. It says, Now some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. I can't help but laugh when I'm already in this verse because I know where this is going. Basically, people said, Man, there's some cool stuff happening over there with the way. Paul's healing some people. We don't really agree with what he's doing. We're going to make fun of him low-key. But we also see people who have been sick forever who are getting healed. So we're going to use this name, and we're going to bring demons out of people. If you don't already expect that's going to be problematic, then you haven't seen the same horror movies I have. (laughs) Verse 14 says, Seven sons of Siva, great alliteration there, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, and I recognize Paul, but who are you? You want to talk about a terrifying moment? You want to talk about something scary in Scripture? That's it. You know, if we got somebody possessed with a demon, and they suddenly go, 
I've heard of Jesus, I've heard of Paul, but Jake, who are you? I am running. <laughs> right? We're, we're not having that fight. <laughs> Terrifying stuff. I remember reading this for the first time as like a teenager and taking it to my dad and being like, is this actually in the Bible? And he's like, yeah, it actually happened. This happened. And if that weren't enough, just to terrify him, look at verse 16. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, and prevailed against them. So they ran out of that house naked and wounded. Y'all, that's something. If we all got attacked in here and started running out in the street naked and wounded, I guarantee you North Charleston would be talking about it. That would be on the news. People would know. And I can't help but think, just from a church perspective, like that had to be the joke for a while in churches, right? Like that had to be a fun story to tell. It'd be like, y'all remember those seven sons of Siva? <laughs> That's, that's what's going on here. They were beaten. They were attacked. They're sent out naked. Verse 17 says, When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. That's me. Totally feel that. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. That's the key, y'all. We say God will build his church through the demonstration of God's power, and we wonder why he doesn't work in some ways, maybe when we want him to, even though we know he still can. Why did God use his power in this way then, and maybe not right this very second? The truth that we can hold to is that he is sovereign and that he is good, and that at this time and moment, he needed to demonstrate his power to validate the message that was being preached. He needed to exhort, show, kind of show off a little bit, his power so that people would hold the name of Jesus high and not just use it as a spell. These people were trying to take it, make it like something out of Harry Potter. They're like, Lingardian Levi Jesus, and it's just not working, okay? The Lord used this and used supernatural means that people would know that the word that Paul was preaching was true. And that is always the purpose of the Holy Spirit working miracles. It's to point us back to God. If you desire miracles more than you desire God, you've missed the point. Now, I did say, and have said, and will say, that God's power is still demonstrated today. And you say, how is that? Sometimes it is a miraculous sign. And if that weirds you out, I'm okay with that. You just be weirded out for a second. More commonly, we see this in the gospel. The gospel. You know, like, the go- what? Like, that's like a fact I memorized. Like, that's how you become a Christian. No, no, no. There's power in the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. In 1 Corinthians, in the late chapters, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, who was just the chapter before this one in Acts, and he's explaining to them the use of spiritual gifts, even miraculous ones. And what does he do when he gets to 1 Corinthians 15 but tell them that the gospel is of first importance? Yes, these are ways that God can and does work. They're good things to be desired, but they are not things to be idolized. We should worship God, and we should trust him to use whatever means he deems is necessary to make himself known. If the gospel is of most importance, then that means we don't need to underestimate 
what happens when we tell people about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means when I say things like, we share the gospel, God saves the people, and that's how God builds his church, I mean it. When you go and you tell someone of the one holy, true God who created everything, who made us in his image, and that we rebelled against him, and that even though we were his enemies, even though we deserve punishment, he sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfectly sinless life, and even though he was tempted every way we are, who willingly went to the cross took on our sin and guilt and shame and bore the wrath of God for us. When we tell people these things, we tell them that he died on that cross and was buried for three days and came back to life three days later. And when we call them to faith and repentance, saying you can know God's grace, you can be part of his family, you can be with him forever, you can know abundant joy now and always, there's power in telling people that. It's not just something we rehearse and memorize and think about. The gospel shapes us and forms us and goes forth in power to save people. God works in power through common, ordinary means like worship. He really does. In a regular worship service where the gospel is prayed and sung and read and preached and seen in the ordinances... He works. God's power is shown in unity. When people who have nothing in common except that they are in Jesus Christ live together in unity and love one another, God's power works and shows the world what he's capable of. When the church is active in love and justice and mercy, this communicates to the world who our God is and what he's done for us through Jesus when we are faithful to evangelize, to go and share the gospel, we get to participate in God's building of his church. He works in us and through us in spite of us because he's good and because he will build his church through the demonstration of his power. Another example of how God demonstrates his power has actually been tied up in everything else we've talked about. When God works so mightily, we know that God will build his church through the transformation of God's people. That's verses 18 through 20, the transformation of God's people. I'm talking about holy living, okay? For some reason, we're like slow to say that or to tell people that we're supposed to walk in holiness these days, but that's very clear in Scripture, that we are called to be holy as Jesus is holy if we are in him. Look in verses 18 and 19, it says, And many who had become believers, came confessing and disclosing their practices. While many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Just so everybody knows, I'm not calling you to throw away all your books. I like to read. I'm not calling you to throw away all your music. I like music. But we probably have things in our lives that we can probably let go of, that we probably should let go of, and I'm not, hear me correctly, I am not the pastor up here telling you, you just need to let that person out of your life because they're bad. No, you probably need to like reconcile with them and love them. Okay, that's probably a more gospel thing. I'm talking about stuff that maybe you're putting ahead of God. It could be social media. It could be a sports team. It could be your career. 
It could be a dating relationship that you do or don't have. It could be a car. It could be style. It can be so many things. Notice that a lot of the things I just listed are morally neutral. Do you notice that? It's easy to stand up as a pastor and say, you got to quit doing all those evil things out there. Put them away. A lot of times we idolize things that are really easy to justify, like, oh, God, I don't have time for your word, but I'm going to spend six hours on Netflix tomorrow. Maybe we should put that away. If it so captures us that we can't put it down. These people came, and obviously, by the way, you're noticing that there's magic and there's exorcisms and all this craziness happened in Ephesus. This was part of the culture, and something that was of high value, that 50,000 pieces of silver would be somewhere between five and six million dollars today. Y'all, if I got five or six million dollars out in cash, which I have no idea what that would look like, and I've never seen that much money but I lit it on fire, I bet some of you run up here trying to get some out. (laughs) I love this church. Love you, Pastor Marcus. Y'all, there are things of which we need to repent, and if it's been a while since you've repented, you're not walking in holiness. The Christian life is a life of repentance. Sadly, in churches, we've made it where you can't repent without us shaming you or making you feel bad. I need you to know this is a place that we will celebrate repentance with you. There are some brothers and sisters that have walked with me and that I've walked with that when we've resisted temptation or even preemptively said, I'm going to stay away from this because I know it'll tempt me, we celebrate that. And we say, God is good and powerful. And hallelujah that he has a better plan for us than to let us just follow after these things that lead to death and lead to fleeting joy. Verse 20 stands as a bookend for this section. Luke often uses these. Verse 20 says, In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. Now, in this way can encapsulate everything we've read, or it could just encapsulate right there with the repentance. But y'all need to know this repentance isn't just something that came because they decided and it was just up to them and they just suddenly decided, I'm going to make a change, New Year's resolution, okay? This was the word of God active in their lives. This was God building his church through the transformation of his people. If you are not being conformed to the image of the Son in this life, then I wonder if you are, in fact, in the Son. We're to be growing. You don't just plant things and be like, all right, I hope it remains exactly the same size. I'm just going to water it every day and make sure it gets sunlight and trim it and do all these kind of things just so it just stays. Some of y'all are like, I grew up a plant to the size I wanted it, and I kept it there. Yeah, but you grew it first. We're called to grow, Christians. Have you grown? Do you know anything more about God than you did the day you came into the Lord? You know more about yourself? Do you practice taking the word to the world? Do you repent? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, then this was probably a really weird passage for you. (laughs) You're probably like, man, these people believe some crazy things. Yes, we do. And we serve a Lord and Savior who actually, we believe, died and came back to life, and he's alive right now. We believe some weird stuff, but true stuff. If you're a non-believer today, if you don't know about all this Jesus stuff, 
I hope that you'll talk to me or Pastor Marcus or Pastor Philip or one of the members here. They all represent Jesus. We're all ambassadors for Christ. I hope you'll talk more about this gospel and about how God builds his church and what God is doing now in our lives. We would love to talk to you more about that. You can go to the Next Steps kind of table, booth. I guess it's not really a table anymore. iPads, cool section that Philip made. (laughs) Go back there. There are things you can do that we can follow up with you. Believers here, I think there's a lot for us in this passage. And what it really boils down to is do we trust God to build his church? Do we trust him to work through the proclamation of his word? The demonstration of his power, the transformation of his people? Do we participate in that? Or do we think, all right, those lights are pretty old. We need to get rid of them because they're not cool. And we got to be cooler if our church is going to grow. And, uh, you know, that cross is kind of blocking those doors. It's kind of in the way. We, we need to make sure that's moved because if we get everything just right and just the way we want it, then our church will grow. Then we will grow. Do we do, we do that? Or do we participate in the means that God has given us to see his church grow? Your friends that you know don't know Jesus, do you tell them about him? Your family. I think often we pray and then we say, God, why aren't, why aren't you saving them? And I often ask Christians, they tell me that, you know, I've been praying for this person for a long time. Well, have you ever told them the gospel? Have you proclaimed the word to them? Do you point them to God's power in your life? The fact that you are putting sin to death, that you've been transformed by God's power. When you talk about your salvation, does it sound unique to other people? Does it sound like God has done something? Because I think, honestly, a lot of unbelievers come to church every Sunday. You may be one. And your life may have never changed when you think you began to follow Jesus. And I wonder if you started following the Jesus of the Bible. I wonder if you turned away from your sin. And if you trusted him as Savior and Lord, or if you trusted yourself. None of us can be good enough on our own to be with the Lord forever. None of us can work hard enough to grow a biblical church. But God is building his church. God is saving people like you and like me. He's taking us from the depth of our sin darkness and death, to life and joy and peace and hope forever. This is good news, church. And I pray that we will participate in God's building of his church and that we will trust him as he builds his church. Let's pray.